You're listening to the Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast with Terrence Murphy, where we cover sales, investing, and entrepreneurship with an emphasis on real estate. Each podcast, Terrence and his guests will bring you informative and inspiring information within the real estate industry. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. We are here to talk about all things real estate entrepreneurship, so sales, investing, and entrepreneurship. So today, I start off with a simple quote and it says, you do not wake up today to be average. So if you guys are out there and you're listening, keep dreaming. You know, I think we become adults and we forget what it means to dream. And I always tell people, just remember what you felt when you were a child, all those dreams you had and all the things you wanted to do and see and accomplish. Keep that same mentality and you will do really well in this life. But I want to welcome my guest, Mark Willis, to the show today. Mark is a certified financial planner, a three-time number one best-selling author and the owner of Lake Growth Financial Services, a financial firm in Chicago, Illinois. As a co-host of the Not Your Average Financial podcast, he shares some of his strategies for investing in real estate, paying for college without going broke, and creating an income for your retirement you will not outlive. Mark works with people who want to grow their wealth in ways that are safe and predictable to become their source of financing and create tax-free income in retirement. Welcome to the show today. Thanks for being here, bro. Thanks, Terrence, for having me on. Uh, and I love the quote. Yeah, Never man. be average, guys. Never be average. Never be average, man. So tell us a little, about, a little bit about who you are, your background, what brought you into the real estate entrepreneurial space or finance space. And uh, let's, let's start there. Sure. Well, I was thinking too about that quote. The, our podcast is called Not Your Average Financial Podcast. <laughs> and I guess you could say I'm not your average financial planner. Uh, I'm a certified financial planner, but uh, I'm not exactly keen on the typical traditional model of financial strategies. And it comes out of my story. You know, I graduated from Abilene Christian University, not far from where you're at there uh, in West Texas. Actually, it's West Central Texas. Uh, and we graduated, my wife and I, with three private school degrees between us. And uh, my graduation date just so happened to be 2008. Now, mm. Terrence, was there anything going on in the real estate space in 2008? <laughs> I'm not sure there was, but yeah, <laughs> crazy times. Yeah. We moved to Chicago, which is a nice, very affordable, you know, small town to live in. Joking, of course, and uh, had no jobs and one hundred and twenty thousand dollars of student loan debt, and really no income to pay it off with, and no plan. More importantly, we did not have a plan to pay it off. Uh, it just sort of was. We fell into our debts, like so many Americans do. And for for me, that was my wake up call that something had to change uh, because, as it happened, I I ended up marrying two women in college. My beautiful, amazing wife. And this lady named Sally May. <laughs> and Sally May was around like every month asking for cash. So that was sort of our introduction to this world called money. And alongside that, we were learning about the financial crisis like most Americans on the evening news. But it didn't really register with me until I started working with a CPA firm and learned a little bit about how stories were being played out. Real American lives were being crushed as a result of things that they had no control over. Uh, for example, I was listening to the CPA that I worked for make the call, right? Make that dreaded call to her 63-year-old clients saying, hey, Mr. Client, uh, I'm sorry. I know you've been working for your entire life. I know I've been managing your money for 20 plus years, but I just lost you half of your life savings. You can't retire in two years like we thought you would. And to me, that was sort of a eye-opener that this whole house of cards we call a financial system could come crumbling down. And I didn't want myself, I didn't want my own life, my career to be wrapped up in that sort of madness. So I almost got out of the business of finance altogether. And for reasons we can maybe get into, I, I stuck with it, obviously. Ended up getting my certified financial planner designation. My wife and I found an incredible alternative way 
to build real wealth and pay off our debt at the same time and become our own source of financing. And that's become our calling card. One of the things I specialize in as a financial planner and the advisors and associates that work with us here, we work across the country, all over the country to have one-on-one discussions with folks to figure out how they too can buy back their debt and build real wealth at the same time. Love it. Love it. So what is real wealth to you, Mark? What is What does that mean? When you hear wealth, what does that mean to you? Yeah, Wealth is such a broad word, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's funny. We think about how money is really pointless paper, worthless stuff in a drawer or in a bank account on a digits on a screen. But it's interesting, you know, the that money seems to really not be all that important, and yet it touches all the important things of one's life. Mm-hmm. Think about your charities you care about the most, your children, your legacy, your own health, your experiences that you're going to have in your life. All of those things are what comprise wealth, in my opinion. Money just seems to be a conduit to help get you to those things, those really important things. And I think, like Scripture tells us, it's the love of money that gets in the way, and it's the root of all evil. But it's it's because it stops us. It's almost like it's the first train stop on the real train to meaning and legacy and responsibility and joy. The real wealth is in your relationships, in your charity, in your giving, and in your legacy and so forth. So that's real wealth, in my opinion. What about you, Terrence? I'm curious. What is real wealth to you? Man, I got a long answer, but uh, I just would say legacy, you know, because I always say all money is is a magnifying glass. It's just a magnifying glass of who you already are. So if you're a giver with money, with no money, you'll be a giver with money. If you are someone who loves helping people with no money, when you get the resources, you're going to help more people. And if you are an asshole with no money, when you get money, you'll be a bigger and we can finish the sentence. And so I always say like, it's just to me, it's just wealth is about building a legacy. It's about breaking generational curses. It's about making an impact for the kingdom of God, because none of this is going with us anyway. And then it's about bringing other people along because the the biggest pivot I've made in the last couple of years is I don't want to motivate people anymore. I don't want to inspire people anymore. I want to motivate, inspire, but then there's extra steps. Then I want to give them access to the information, give them the tools, give them the roadmap, and then they can go replicate what I'm replicating or what I'm executing. So I'm not just talking to you about it. I'm not just showing you an Instagram reel. I'm saying, hey, here's the steps. Here's the information. Because you know, the biggest thing I've learned when I really went on my financial literacy journey is that I didn't even know that information was out there. And I had a, you know, I was three-time academic all-conference. I had a degree from Texas a and I, I was a studious person in high school. You know, my first couple, whatever offers were academic offers. So long answer is giving people just, just putting the thought in their mind that that is possible, that you can understand financial literacy on your own, to me is the biggest thing you can give people. It's like, the blue pill and the red pill almost, almost the matrix. It's true. And couldn't have said it better myself in so many ways there, Terrence. Uh, I think we're really aligned in a lot of ways on that. And you know, I think too often, traditional financial planning has been about, hey, give me your money and let me sit on it for 40 years and charge you a fee for it. And then maybe I'll give a little bit of it back to you when it's time to retire. That's kind of the traditional model. It's literally called assets under management. <laughs> who's who, right? Uh, it's it's your assets under their management. And by the way, they'll charge you a nice hefty fee for that one, one half percent, whatever, which right, that doesn't sound like a lot. But according to the Department of Labor, if you gave your money to an IRA or a brokerage account or 401k, and they just charge a, a nominal 1% fee, which is the average, it's actually below average 1%. The average is closer to 1.7. But if it's just a 1% fee, according to the Department of Labor over 30 years, that's 28% of your nest egg 
eviscerated just, just to fees. Wow. That's a third of your life. That's like you sitting in that chair at your day job, your work a day job, or whatever you do for a living, working for your investment advisor. He's going to retire or she's going to retire before you can. Wow. And does that make sense? Who's taking the risk here? Is it his or her money or is it your money? If, if, we're, if we're willing to outsource our, our, our money mindset and our financial life to a guru or a financial expert, I'm sorry, but that's, that's a dangerous way to live. Um, it's not just, it's not benign just to hand it off to somebody else and hope and pray, right? Hope and pray is not a strategy. So I'm with you all the way on that. I got to take control and you're right, man. I can't motivate. Uh, but like a good Texas buddy of mine once said, Mark, you cannot, you can bring a horse to water. You cannot make him drink, but you can salt the feed. Mm. So find ways to salt that feed. That's good, bro. Wow. So what was that pivotal moment that you had when you said, you know what, the path that I'm on, which like you said, is, you know, college tuition, debt, and whatever, 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 I'm just going to work a, you know, a W-2, set up my 401k and just wait till I'm 68 years old, 65, 63 and retire. What was that pivotal moment that got your attention? Was it the 08 crisis? Well, it was, um, it was, it was sort of, it was mess. It was a mess of, of different events. Think of it almost like me hitting my head against the wall over and over again. That was sort of that pivotal moment. You might say <laughs> just finally waking up to the insanity of it all, because here I am in my mid to late twenties at that moment, throwing my most in- invaluable dollars into a hole called my student loan debt. And I say those are my most valuable dollars because they are the dollars in your pocket when you're at your youngest. Mm. Uh, so whether you're eight years old or 35 years old or 80 years old, the money in your pocket right now is more valuable than the dollars in your pocket 10 years from now. Why? Due to opportunity cost. And that was my, if you want to call it a light bulb or aha moment, uh, I realized that every dollar I spend, I'm losing for the rest of my life. But I'm also losing anything that that dollar might have done for me and my family for the rest of my life and their lives as well. And that was the w- the big wake up call, if you will, Terrence. And so it was a, a moment when a, a mentor of mine from uh, my alma mater, actually, he sat down in our little apartment in Chicago and he said, Mark, I've got something important to talk to you about. I know you've been fighting through this student loan stuff. And sorry about that, by the way, since I'm a professor there. <laughs> but then he said, uh, Mark, uh, I've got something I want to tell you. And he described something called bank on yourself. Mm. And he had described it to me. And my mind shut off. My arms crossed. My, my eyebrows got kind of low. I kind of turned them off. And I didn't believe anything he was saying. And then he said to me, Mark, is it possible that Dave Ramsey could be wrong about something? And he yeah. just let that question sit there for a minute. Maybe that was my aha moment too, Terrence, because it was sort of that realization because the, the concept of bank on yourself sort of flies in the face of something that Dave Ramsey taught. And Mr. Ramsey's been pivotal for millions of Americans, myself included, got me started thinking about money, got me with envelopes in my wallet and started getting me out of debt, so to speak. But I realized that I was following a specific method called the snowball method of paying off my debts. I was just throwing that money down a hole and I'd never see it grow for me ever again. But when I discovered a strategy called bank on yourself, that became for me a pivotal moment in my, not just my financial life, but my children and my children's children. It changed our family tree. Uh, so that's, that's been one of the big aha moments for me. And, you know, it was in, in the midst of the 2008 crisis, all that happened for sure. Man, I got a lot I want to unpack because it's so important, you know, real estate entrepreneurs, a lot of them are on their th- second, third, fourth, fifth career by the time they find real estate. And they're coming into the industry with debt, just like out of college. And it's crazy because 
crazy. So I know this is this is God's going to use this episode for sure to impact a lot of people. Because as you were saying the words, I would literally write it down and you would say it. Mm-hmm. I literally wrote down snowball debt. Then you said it. I wrote down opportunity cost. Then you said it. it like you were literally saying it. I would write it. Then you would say it. Almost like I was writing on the teleprompter. So when you think opportunity, I want to go back and unpack some of that because for our real estate entrepreneurs who may be in debt, who may be following the Dave Ramsey, I, I call it the American dream, get a job, go to college, get a degree, you know, go on all these interviews, work your eight to five, save your money. You know, you hear save your money, which we know cash is trash at times. But what would you say? If you were to give me the meaning of opportunity cost, because I want to break that down, that's a really important topic for people to understand. Walk me through that, Mark. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say a bold claim, and you tell me what you think as an answer to this question. The Mm -hmm. bold claim is you finance everything you buy. You finance everything you buy. Either you pay interest to another banker or you pass up interest you could have earned on that money had you not bought that car and left the money invested instead. Mm. That's that's the honest truth. And that's what Dave, I mean, he's helping you with baby steps. And God bless Dave Ramsey for helping folks have baby steps. But Terrence, you're not wanting to just take baby steps, right? You're on for a marathon here, I assume. Correct. I'm on for a marathon. I want more than just a couple of baby steps. I want to see worlds changed. I want to see my family changed. I want to see my personal life changed. So you got to think beyond just those baby steps eventually. And I, I had not done that. I did not think critically. That was my biggest error was I didn't think critically about my money guru and what he was saying to me. So thinking critically is the skill that you learn in college, but I didn't apply that to my financial life at all. So anyway, opportunity cost is the truth that when you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to everything else. Yep. So you're financing everything you buy. If I buy a ice cream cone for my daughter this afternoon, that's $17 I won't have for her college when she's of age, right? To go to school. If I buy a car today, I won't have 200 grand in the future, depending on the rate of return and all that stuff. But it's a choice between this and everything else. So that's opportunity cost. And the trouble with paying cash for things is, you know, you lose that opportunity cost. And in my example, my example was all my student loan debt. When I pay cash into that hole called my debt, I was losing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in my retirement as I made that choice every month to throw a little extra toward old Sally and her cronies. So that's opportunity cost. What would you add to that, Terrence? I wouldn't add anything. <laughs> that's the that's a really good way of explaining it. Yeah. And I always say it, you know, it's kind of the Robert Kiyosaki thought process. You have to have a career and your money has to have a career, right? Yep. And if your dollars is an employee and you hired it, which would you be hired me and you show up every day and I'm just sitting there on the desk with my my feet on the desk doing no work, would I still have a job by the end of the week? And so that's a simple way of me telling people you have to put your money to work. The same way you get up and go to work every day, your money has to work, especially with inflation. Right. What was that? 7%, 7.5 or 6 to 8% last year. And I explain to people, if you have money doing less than 8%, you're losing. So leverage is key. And I don't, but I don't want to steal your, your shine. So this is important. So let's, let's talk about it. So when you had the mentor explain that process of bank on yourself, I guarantee you 99% of our audience, the people that are listening have never heard of that. So walk us through what that is about. And when you made that big aha moment in your mind. Sure. Yeah, that, that is a big, it was a big shift for me, for sure. We had a uh, conversation that hour and uh, then I had about seven months where I had to peel back the the scales from my eyes and open up my mind a little bit uh, to really understand that there is a, a truth to that statement that you finance everything you buy. And the biggest, I guess, 
options one has for, let's say, buy a, buying a car is either you finance it, you lease it, or you pay cash for it. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what we're all taught. And that's, that's honestly true for 99% of Americans. That's the options. Buy it with your own cash, or you got to finance it with a bank or lease it, which is more like renting the car. So if you finance it, obviously you're on their dole. You got, or you're on their take. You got to give them some money every month. Uh, you got to pay them interest every month. If you stop paying the car off, they're going to come repo the car. Uh, if you finance it, you don't even have a car at the end of the deal because you got an old beat up five-year-old vehicle. You got to go back into debt to restart that whole cycle all the way over again. Uh, if you lease the car, you don't even have anything to sell at the end of the term. You know, you're just always paying 100% interest basically to lease the car. If you pay cash for the car, you feel great while you're saving the money, save, save, save up the staircase. Uh, and then as you make that purchase, you withdraw the money out of your bank account and go pay cash for the car. And it feels great for about 15 seconds. I call it the, it's like the, the, the refined grains. It's like the, the sugar crash of, of finance when you pay cash for something, because as soon as you pay cash for it, you get that empty feeling in your bank account, right? Uh, it feels good for about 15 seconds. You got the title to the car or whatever, but now you have nothing earning interest for you, like you said. And now you've broken compound growth for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So your $30,000 car might actually be a $120,000 mistake over your lifetime. You multiply that by seven to 10 cars you're probably going to buy. We're talking hundreds of thousands, if not a million bucks to mistakenly buy your cars with cash. So what's the alternative? What's the alternative? And as the CFP, I have to say, it shocked me when I figured this out. Uh, I mean, I, I had reviewed 450 financial vehicles, strategies, products, and of course, you can combine them together, right? Stocks and real estate and annuities and mortgages, and you can mash them all together and create infinite portfolios, right? But I'd never considered a bank on yourself strategy before. So here's what it is. Uh, of all things, Terrence, it's a dividend paying whole life insurance policy, but it's not like Dave and his friends, Dave Ramsey and his friends are talking about. This is a dividend paying high cash value, cash value life insurance policy. This life insurance policy is not about the death benefit, although that's going to be there and that's fine. It's really about a few things. Number one, you build up an equity in the policy called cash value, just like you build up equity in real estate. Number two, it's liquid and accessible for any purpose, for any reason, at any time. You can get the money out in about three to five business days and no one asks you any questions about it. So there's no banker who's having to like, you know, lend you his umbrella, right? uh, To get that money out. Uh, number three, it's accessible. The tax law says you can get it out tax-free. So you could have $10 million in one of these policies and be taken out 400 grand a year or whatever, and it's all going to be income tax-free. Mm. And number four, when you access this cash, and this is, I'll just stop with this and get your feedback. Uh, let's say I've got $100,000 in cash value in one of these policies, and I borrow out 60000 I borrow it out, right? So I'm banking on myself. I'm borrowing against this policy $60,000 of my 100000 the way the contracts in these type of policies work, Terrence, is when you borrow against the policy, the policy is not diminished. It actually continues to grow and compound on the entire 100000 bucks as if you had never taken the loan in the first place. Now, to me, this solves the problem of opportunity cost. You know, So let's say I've got hundred grand and I borrow out sixty, and I'm still getting growth on my 100000 bucks as if I'd never touched a dime of the money. Meanwhile, I've got my 60 grand. Now, what am I going to go do with it? Terrence, can you think of anything somebody might want to do? Maybe it starts with the letter R and ends in real estate, maybe, um, <laughs> with that $60,000. Yep. <laughs> and might that give you two places for your money to be working at the exact same time, growing and compounding in the policy at 100 grand on 100 grand, right? 
and my 60 or call it 600 or whatever your number is, is now being put to work in real estate or your business or sending your kid to college or paying off your student loans like my story. You know, the whole thing becomes a ever increasing compounding wealth system uh, that you can use for your entire financial life. Wow. Guys, I hope you wrote notes and took your time to really digest that because the first question is, do you have insurance? And if you don't, that's where we need to start, right? So why would you think people need insurance? And then we'll come back to that strategy. Why do, why do we need yeah. insurance? Why do, why do, especially 1099 entrepreneurs, why do we need insurance? Yeah, there's no uh, government requirement or business requirement for you to have life insurance. They'll force you to get other kinds of insurance like health insurance or whatever, but not life insurance. You know, it's a, it's a personal decision on a family level. If you're going to work another 20, 25 years, uh, that's an important stream of income for your family. Uh, if you're a business partner in your real estate, maybe there's something that they're going to want to have if you should pass away so that your spouse doesn't show up to work on Monday to work with the business partner, <laughs> right? So maybe there's a, a relationship where if you pass away, you, you uh, pay the, um, the surviving spouse, uh, your surviving spouse, a lump sum rather than having to give her, him or her equity in a business. There's a lot of reasons, but the key is being responsible and making, keeping your promises that you made to the people on this side of the grass, on this side of heaven's gates, so that you know they don't beat you up on the other side no, like when they it. meet you again. So can we pivot? I have another couple of questions I want to run by you. Inflation. That's been a big topic, obviously, with supply chain issues and construction. And we're 5 million homes short right now in America, which is ridiculous. Let's talk inflation. If I'm a real estate entrepreneur, realtor, investor, and property manager, whatever, what would be three strategies or three thoughts that you would put in front of me to think about inflation? What would be the first three things that you would have me set up as my advisor? Yeah. You know, the, the key piece here is having a strategy and not just reaction. And so there, as I mentioned, there's hundreds and really infinite ways you could combine your money uh, together for any portfolio, and all of them are going to do different things. So the first thing I would do is ask you, Terrence, what do you want your money doing for you? If you were Pope of money for your life and your, for the day, and you could create a perfect financial vehicle or, or set of vehicles, what sort of attributes, what sort of characteristics would you want your money to have? And so we'd go through that conversation. I'd recommend your audience do the same. Just grab a pen and paper and ask yourself, you know, here, what, if I had the perfect financial instrument, perfect financial vehicle to beat inflation, to beat everything else, taxes, because this year it's inflation, guys. But next year it's going to be something else: taxes, market crash, withdrawal rates, uh, interest rates. the The list goes on and on. It might be a personal emergency too. It might be a, not a world financial crisis. It might be a personal crisis. Maybe you've lost your job or became disabled or had to care for someone else who is disabled. So you'd have to kind of create your list first. What do I want my money doing for me? So I'd start with that conversation, Terrence. First, we'd look at things like uh, inflation for sure. We'd look at tax rate risk because isn't isn't inflation just another like unvoted for tax? Think about that for a minute. Yep. So looking at taxes, that's going to be important. Do you want to pay your taxes today on the seed or 25 years from now on the harvest? What do you think, Terrence? If you had to choose today, if the IRS gave you a choice, they call you up and say, hey, Terrence, we were just looking at your file. We're going to let you choose. And how you answer this question is going to impact the rest of your financial life. Do you want to pay taxes on today's money now or in the future? When it's time to retire or whatever, 25 years from now, whatever tax rates are 25 years from now, do you think it's going to be a lower deal today or are you going to be in a better tax rate in the future? Are taxes going down or up? These are questions you'd want to ask and answer for yourself. It's your, your personal decision, but 
most of the people I sit down over Zoom and over the phone with folks all across the country, I have not heard anybody say, Mark, taxes in this country are definitely going to be lower <laughs> 25 years from now. I, have, I don't hear that. I hear people tell me, Mark, you know, it's likely that taxes are going to be higher. They might be way higher. And they say to me, uh, I don't want to pay those taxes. And, and I'd rather pay my taxes on, today, on today's money, on the seed, yeah. and let my harvest be tax-free. For sure. So, so we're looking at things. What are the things that give you tax-free futures? Well, life insurance, I mentioned, is tax-free when you get the money out. It's like a mega Roth IRA, if you can think of it sort of like that, because there's no restrictions on how much you can put into the thing. We've got folks putting a couple hundred bucks a month. We've got folks putting in a couple hundred thousand a year and more. So it's, it's sort of like a mega Roth IRA. Other options would include real estate. Real estate gives you an incredible way to beat inflation, as you know, too well, Terrence, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see your rents go up as long as the government allows us to raise rents uh, in this country. And you've got uh, things like, um, uh, well, indexed annuities are actually a very interesting way to increase with inflation as well. Uh, you know, strangely, there's not too many places where you can get uh, inflation-adjusted tax-free income, even except those two that I just mentioned. I mean, there's maybe a few others, but uh, would you add anything to the list? No, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, real estate, everybody knows that's my it's my go-to punch every time. So, and it, well, real estate, it's just got so many categories, so many opportunities and so many, you know, cost segregation, depreciation, you know, expense write-offs, like all kinds of stuff, man. So it really helps you hedge against inflation for sure. Yep. And, and, yep. and it's something that's tangible that also appreciates, that also pays you every month. And yeah, I mean, as a, as a, and that someone's else, somebody else is paying your debt. I call it phantom, right. phantom income. So that's like I like that. I like that a lot. And there's a reason why I keep real estate in my own portfolio. We work with roughly half of our clients are real estate investors to one degree or another, uh, and they are everything from short-term rentals to buy and hold to fix and flip and wholesaling and syndications, all sorts of fun stuff that folks are doing. But what I love is when I can find the nitro and the glycerin. And you, when you can put them together, some really magical things happen. And this is where, again, I think this bank on yourself idea fits so well with real estate. I mean, where else could you house uh, some liquid contingency capital for your real estate business, whether you're buying and holding or you're going to do a fix and flip or you're going to do the Burr method or whatever. If you've got a big pool of liquid tax-free contingency cash on the balance sheet of your family or your business, and you can access that for any purpose, and you're going up against other people who are having to get regular mortgages and so forth. Aren't you going to win those deals, those great deals when the markets crash? You know, Terrence says an old quote by Mark Twain. He says, uh, a banker is a fellow who will lend you his umbrella when the sun is shining, but he wants it back as soon as it starts to rain. <laughs> and what I love about the bank on yourself model is we're firing the real estate banker. Maybe we still use the mortgage for certain things. You know, sure, I get it. It's low interest when it's, you know, while we're in this low interest ish, lowish rate environment. But the policy itself could be used for your down payments, for your property taxes, heck, even the whole purchase of, of, uh, of your real estate. I had a guy right there in Texas, actually. He, he started out by using his policies to buy his down payments to finance that. And again, he's still getting compound growth inside the policy as if he had never touched the money. And he's got the rental property. And the renters are actually helping pay off the policy loan that he's in control of, by the way. He doesn't have to repay that loan. He's just uh, paying it down so he can borrow that money out again for the next real estate deal. But he's now moved up the ladder, you might say, from just using his policies for down payments to now he's using it for entire cash purchases. He's buying eight unit, 12 units, just whole cash purchases using his policies. And I just, I'm cheering him on because, you know, what bank was in the middle of all that, you know? 
Did he have to beg somebody to get approved? Did he have to, you know, you know, lift the kimono, so to speak, to show all of his finances? No. Three to five business days, request the money. It's in his bank account and he comes to closing with cash. Easy peasy. That's good. So when it comes to that strategy, just overall, when you're advising people, how do you decide how much you know, life insurance you should get? Do you take a percentage of net worth? Do you take a percentage of total assets? What's kind of that rule of thumb? Um, should I go out and get 20 million? Should I get five? Should I get two? Should I get 500K? What's that rule of thumb? Is it net worth, total assets? There's a, is there some wisdom there that we can pull? Terrence, there's a lot of great ways you could answer that question. And so I'll just try to be very uh, specific to your question here. Yeah, you can have a full family needs analysis. And we usually do th- that calculation with each person. Uh, and it can be done on a number of levels, like you said, net worth, whatever. But the goal of of these these specific type of whole life policies is not the death benefit. Mm-hmm. In fact, like I say, it's almost the afterthought. We're trying to, in fact, squeeze down and cut down the death benefit to as small as humanly possible. We just want only enough life insurance so that we satisfy the government's definition for what is life insurance. And there's a complicated formula there we probably don't want to get into on this audience but for this for this podcast. Yeah. But what we're trying to do is cut the commissions down quite candidly by about 70%. And we cut the death benefit down by about 50 to 70%. And if we can do those things, cut those expenses down, it's sort of like when you overpay on your mortgage, you're flooding that policy with equity or cash right from the start. And from day one, month one, you can access that money. You know, It's, it's pure equity in the policy. We're, we're flooding the policy with a special rider called a paid up additions rider. I don't want to get too technical unless you want to, Terrence, but the main point is if you engineer it, for the death benefit, you're going to have a front-loaded, heavy, lots of commissions, zero cash policy, which is what Dave Ramsey talks about. If you want a super modern, efficient, cash early policy that gets you money where you can start using it for any project day one, you'd want to see make sure that it's a bank-on-yourself designed policy that's front-loaded with cash and not commissions. Love it. It's a lot of wisdom there, man. So I got this section called coming in hot. There's five questions that I'm going to ask and we time you. So we got to, it's like running a 40 yard dash. Love it. And it's been, it's been cool to see people's answers and see how they respond. All right, Mark. So I'm going to ask them and you answer them in one word or one sentence and you just fire them out. You ready? Let's do this thing. Okay. Sit. Go. go. Do you have a college degree or no college degree? College degree. Okay. What was your greatest challenge as a child? Getting past the fear of uh, sales and uh, getting out there and doing businesses. There you go. What was your first attempt at entrepreneurship? Besides the lemonade stand, uh, I sold mazes and uh, uh, like cartoon characters to my friends. Man, I did that too. What was the worst real estate advice you've ever received? Uh, your house is an asset. Wow. And who was the one person who made the biggest impact on your career? Well, it's the, the professor I mentioned earlier. 41 seconds, brother. It's close enough. I don't know. Did we get any kind of Hall of Fame or anything? Oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for helping. Yeah, man. 41 seconds. What's the record right now, Kyle? 34 seconds. Come back on. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'll try it again. <laughs> Somebody was at 18 seconds by question four, and then it was question five, and they got stumped. He just sat there for like 45 seconds. He was at 18 seconds. So, <laughs> yep. That's cool, bro. All right. Before we close, man, this has been good. It's a lot of wisdom here. Just to clarify, give me that final thought on the bank on yourself. So it has to be a not commission loaded up front, but cash up front mm-hmm. policy. Mm-hmm. What's a, is yeah. there a formal name for it? 
Yeah, the 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 best shortest answer I can give you, it's like USDA organic food comes with that seal of approval, right? You want to there's plenty of folks on YouTube talking about this and they they call it a number of different things and I've found that you can be getting into trouble with this if you work with the wrong advisor. There are 400,000 life insurance agents out there. There's hundreds of thousands of uh, investment advisors out there. Don't work with just any of them, you know? If there were 400,000 heart surgeons out there, you wouldn't necessarily just go to the nearest guy or gal and ask him to, you know, put you under the knife. You want to make sure you're looking for a bank on yourself professional. And there's roughly 200 of us that have been uh, trained specifically in this strategy. So look for anything that says bank on yourself and you know you're in the right place. Love it. Love it. So what's your moonshot, which is it's your goal or dream that other people think is impossible. It's kind of crazy to even fathom that it could happen. What's that moonshot for you in life? You know, I was just telling my uh, staff and employees this the other day. What if 10% of America was doing this? What if 10% of America had a strategy and a financial plan to bank on themselves uh, where they were you know, firing their banker, getting rid of their credit cards, getting rid of whatever, and using their own source of financing for their children's colleges? Because don't forget that college comes you know, for every kiddo at some point, if that's going to be a thing in the future. Uh, real estate strategies, tax-free retirement income. What if 10% of America was banking on themselves? How many marriages would we save? How many suicides would we avoid? How many businesses would not go out of business because they had a big pool of cash waiting for them to, to use as they needed? That's 10%. What would happen to the credit card industry? What would happen to the Federal Reserve? Right? This would change the world. And it would bring banking down from the mega banks down to the you and me level again, which is where it's been for thousands of years. It's only been a recent thing where banks have really taken the banking function away from us. So my moonshot is to put every client we work with behind the banker's desk, all right, so that they can control their financial outcomes before they even start on their journey. Wow. God's going to use you, brother. Let's, let, uh, humbly, let's both get it out there and see what we can do, man. Yeah. So I have all my guests bring a book because I'm really encouraging my audience, the people in my organization, in order to be a leader, you have to be a reader. And so I'm always giving that, you know, every guest to bring one recommended book and you recommend it, Becoming Your Own Banker by R. Nelson Nash. We've talked about it a lot, but what about that book is the one thing that you pulled from it that you people should read it? Well, uh, he says, change your thinking. And he says, avoid the worst virus of the human condition. Unlike some of the other viruses you might have heard about in the news lately, the worst virus one can have is the arrival syndrome. It's where you get caught with that virus that you've already arrived, that you've somehow made it, that you're established, that you've figured it all out. Avoid that like the plague because in his book, the arrival syndrome is the worst thing that can happen to a human. And it's almost what I had when I thought I figured it all out that I just took Dave Ramsey's word as gospel. No, you got to always be learning, always be growing. So Good on you, Terrence, and, and anybody listening to this podcast because it proves you're trying to learn, you're trying to grow. So that's that's the one nugget I took that I want to share. That's good. Yeah, the athlete in me never lets me feel like I arrived. That was the one beautiful thing about sports. You could be playing the greatest game in your life, and then you go out there the next series and you trip or fall or run the wrong direction and or drop a wide open touchdown or whatever. It's just very it, it humbles you really quick. And um, sure does. so it always forces me to get up every day knowing that the rent is due, right? I got to go earn that day with my effort, with my mentality. Um, and that's what people always ask me, like, man, you played in the NFL. You did this. You've accomplished so much by in your, you know, you're still in your 30s. Don't you feel like you've done enough? No, 
man, I just wake up every day trying to beat myself. I'm not even racing anybody else. So that's good, bro. So your final thoughts for our audience and then where can people find you? But thank you for being on the show and just having so much wisdom. But what's your final thoughts for our audience and where can people find you? Well, you're a great interviewer. You'd ask great questions, man. So um, yeah, if folks want to dive deeper into this strategy, we're all over the place on YouTube and everything. Our podcast is called Not Your Average Financial Podcast. And we've got 200 plus episodes on this strategy that I mentioned today and a number of others related to real estate and more. So go to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. There's a big button there that says request a meeting. If you want to chat with me for 15 minutes, happy to answer any question you have. Love it, bro. Thanks again, man. I'm probably going to personally reach out to you in a couple of weeks. I'm going to get settled at the new place. And then I'd love to talk to you about this strategy, brother. Cool. Love to. Let's do it. All right, man. Great job, bro. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Please subscribe on whichever platform you are listening and consider leaving a five-star review as that will help us gain traction and continue to bring you knowledge in the real estate industry. For more content, head over to TerrenceMurphy.com. 